Will you turn with me, please, to the Scriptures, to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 4. Jeremiah, chapter 4. And we're going to speak on the subject, the prophets and preachers of Israel are still needed today. The prophets and preachers of Israel are still needed today. Want to look at the caliber of the preachers in scriptural and post-scriptural time, pre-cross and post-cross. We find in all of it that Christ is centralized in everything. In Jeremiah chapter 4, please, beginning to read at verse 19. Verse 19. Listen to the words of the prophet as he cries. My bowels, my bowels, I am pained at my heart. My heart maketh a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace. Because thou hast heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Destruction upon destruction is cried, for the whole land is spoiled. Suddenly are my tents spoiled and my curtains in a moment. How long shall I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet, for my people is foolish. For they have not known me, they are sottish children. They have none understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good. They have no knowledge. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the songs of Zion and We thank you, Lord, for the music that we were able to play and sing unto thee. We thank you, Father, for Encounter Grace and their ministry tonight. But now, Father, we pray that you would settle us in our hearts and in our minds, that you would, Father, remove and bind any opposing spirit to your word, any distracting thought which would take us away from hearing. Lord, that you would take it and deal with it in the name of Jesus. And settle us, Lord, that we may now hear the voice of God in thy word. And that you would instruct us and teach us in the way which we should go. That you'd guide us with your eye and take this man and use him for the glory of Christ and for his honor. Hear us, we pray tonight, Father. For Jesus' name's sake, I ask it. Amen. Amen. The prophet Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet because of the type of man and the ministry of the man. And tonight, with the Lord's help, we're going to look at the prophets and the preachers of Israel. But we're going to look at them right up through to today. The preachers after the cross that go out right up until today. And what sort of a preacher, when I say a preacher or a prophet, it can also be a Christian. What sort of Christian are you? And I supposed to be in 2023 when we know of all the things that are happening around us and all the evils that are going on and the way our nation is turning. What are we meant to be like? What is it that's going to rescue Ulster? The United Kingdom, Ireland. We need preachers with feeling. We need preachers who are fearless. We need preachers who will be faithful. 
And we need preachers who are willing to fight. Preachers with feeling, they're fearless, faithful, and have a fight in them. And with God's help tonight, we're going to look at those four brief points. But the prophet here is saying, my bowels, my bowels, I am pained at my very heart. And scripturally, and then post-scripture, meaning after the book of Revelation into the history, God has raised up preachers, uh, prophets beforehand in Israel. And he's raised, them, he's raised them up and we go through time in Revelation chapter 2 and the Revelation chapter 3. It speaks of the seven churches, seven literal churches around Asia at the time. And the risen Christ speaks to John and he says, write this down to each and every church. And he writes them a letter. The first letter is to the church of Ephesus. We we read the epistle Paul writes to the Ephesian church in our New Testament. But he writes the the letter from Christ by the Holy Spirit. And he tells them, look, I understand they they were like second and third generation Christians from the death of Christ, the burial, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And and it was those early Christians, then possibly it's their children, and then possibly their grandchildren even at this time, by the time this is written to the Ephesian church, from Christ, through the pen of John. And hence they're starting to grow cold, and the, the word isn't as strong in them. And Jesus says, with all the things that are good in them, in the letter in Revelation 2, and he said something to them, he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Or in other words, Jesus was saying, you do so much and you take a stand so far, but you've stopped loving me the way you used to. You've stopped loving me the way you used to. And so we go right through time. Those are seven literal churches. And going through time from from Ephesus, it goes through seven church names. I haven't time to go through them all. And it takes us not only as a literal church and what Jesus says to each and every church, but those are prophetic church ages going through time right up to this day. And so the early church was Ephesus. The early church of the first sort of Christians after the cross. And God had raised up the preachers, you see, And the apostles, and then Paul after them as an apostle of the risen Savior. And then it goes down through time, writing the letters to these seven churches. And the last, or the seventh church, the seventh church age is called the Laodicean church. And the Laodicean church is the last church before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ again. And he writes to them, and as he's writing this, He then gives them a little scolding, a warning. He says to them, and for time's sake I'll paraphrase because it would take weeks to go through these things. But he says to them that he wanted them to be either hot or cold, meaning hot burning with zeal for him, or cold, refreshingly cold. Not cold and indifferent, that sort of way, but refreshingly cold for the saints that he, they go out and they build the church and they, they, they press forward in Christ. And he says, I would that you would be hot or you'd be cold, but you're lukewarm. And he says, and I will spew you 
out of my mouth. I, you make me sick. I want to vomit when I look at this Laodicean church. It means the church of the laity. And it means that the, 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 the preachers, if you want, the elders of the church, the head of the church, that is, Christ is the head, but I mean on the earth. Those who are leading the people, the preachers of the day, if you want, the prophets in the midst of the assembly. He says, look, you're going away so far that you, you take nothing from me. You're not passionate about me anymore, and you're so cold, you're not refreshing to anyone anymore. He says, you're lukewarm and you make me sick. Now, the Ephesian church is the first church at the cross, and down through the down through the years, there's seven churches named. The last one is Laodicea. And it means the laity, the people, demand to hear what they want to hear. The people are leading what the preacher should bring. The people are saying, preacher, you should preach like this. Preacher, you should talk like that. Preacher, you should not touch that subject, nor say those words, nor preach in such a manner and a fashion, because, you know, it's hard for us as the people, the laity, to hear such words. And when we hear them, uh, it turns people away from the gospel. I've had it said to me before, but really, brothers and sisters and friends, it doesn't matter what I say in the sense when the Holy Spirit takes it and wings it home to a man's heart and a woman's heart, only he can give you the ability to receive it. Preacher, preach like this. Don't say those words. Don't preach from that book. Don't be preaching that kind of message because we don't want it. And if the Ephesian church is the early church, the last church, the seventh, seventh is the number of God's finished in perfection. The last church, the Laodicean church, is the church before his coming. We're the church of the now. We are in it. The church of this day, the church of this age, when men behind pulpits, many of them are afraid of their congregation. They're afraid of losing their pay packet. They're afraid of losing their months. They're afraid of losing their prestige and their position. And hence they will not touch certain subjects that the congregation and the nation needs to hear. We need prophets and preachers like those raised up before in Israel. Unafraid and unashamed to preach the word of God to hearts and ears that need to hear it. Jeremiah cries, my boils, my boils, I am pained at my very heart. Listen to Matthew Henry on this, the prince of the commentators. He says, the prophet here is in agony and cries out like one upon the rack of pain with some acute distemper or as a woman in travail, the expressions are very pathetic and moving enough to melt a heart of stone into compassion. That's Matthew Henry telling us his take on Jeremiah and how his cries sounded over Judah 
and the city of Jerusalem, warning them of a judgment to come, and they wouldn't listen. The people couldn't see their need of salvation, and they couldn't see the sin they were in. And hence, we need men like Jeremiah and other prophets, like Isaiah and Hosea, like Elijah and Elisha, Amos, and we could go on, like the, the apostles, the preachers and the prophets throughout time. We need them like Jerome of Prague and Johann Hus pre-Reformation, like the reformers, Martin Luther, Zwingli and Calvin. We need men again of such caliber. We need preachers with such a caliber in Israel today. We think of the time goes on. John Knox in Scotland. Mary, Queen of Scots, says she feared the prayers of John Knox alone more than all the the combined armies of Europe because he was a man in touch with God with a fire in his heart. He was unashamed of Christ and unafraid of the gospel. And hence, Mary, Queen of Scots, she trembled before him. John Knox would point the finger and call out the sin of Scotland. And Scotland turned to God again through the preaching of John Knox. John Knox says, one man with God is in the majority. One man with God, brother, is in the majority. One woman with God, sister, is in the majority. It doesn't matter who's against you, how many's against you, how many's against the church. One of us could turn the nation back with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God unashamedly and unafraid to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. We need prophets and preachers of Israel still in this day. And as Jeremiah cries, my bowels, my bowels, I'm pained. Notice up my very heart. It is the spirit of prophecy which moves him to see the future of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, and of Jerusalem, the city, the capital. You see, whenever you're in a place with God, brother, sister, when you're in a place with God, God seemingly, don't ask me how he does it, And I can't get rid of it over these weeks, hence these types of messages. I keep having it laid on me to bring it to the people. And I keep saying, Lord, I want to bring a simple gospel message tonight. And it's, no, this is what you'll bring, what I give you. In whatever way the Spirit of God moves, the Spirit of God moves on a man or a woman, but it enables us when we're close to him, when he moves in us, he enables you to see, as it were, the future ending of things. He enables you to see the depths of society, the sin, the depravity. He enables you to be able to see it and behold it and realize that they need to know there's a remedy. And the remedy is the blood of Christ, the crosswork of Christ. Have you eyes to see tonight, Christian? Have you eyes to behold what's happening in our land tonight? When you turn on your news, if you read the newspapers, I don't, but if you read the newspapers, if you can believe it, can you see what's happening? 
Can you see where we're heading? And God gives you the vision of a multitude, a people, a society, a nation, walking, as it were, in, on the broad road of destruction. One man at a time. One woman at a time. Listen, one soul is worth more than all this world can afford. For what shall a profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul, Jesus said. And we can give nothing in exchange nor payment for our soul. That's why he had to come and die. You're walking through Belfast or Portadown or Dungannon or wherever you live, even if it's Guildford, going to the shops or you're in your work, ask the Lord to let you hear the sounds of marching feet going to hell. I'm telling you, it'll change your life. It will change your life. Remember praying it and praying it years ago. Went to bed and Jody was only born, I think maybe Ali. Jody was only born, I think, at the time. And went into this deep sleep. And in a dream, a dark figure stood before me, about nine or ten foot tall. And walked into the church like this, right round the front, and I turned and there he was. And he caught me up in the air, took me through the wall, as it were. And there I was in the caverns of the pits of the damned. All I could hear was the cries and the wailings and the moanings and the screamings, the pleadings, and none could help them nor take them out. I heard it over and over again. And then in my dream, in this, it was so real, I, I thought I could feel everything. And in it, in all of it, I seen two friends. I tried to release them and I couldn't. I was helpless. I seen flickers way down beneath me of what seemed like flames licking up out of caverns and the squeals and the cries and the wailings of multitudes of multitudes of voices together, moanings and groanings. And I heard it. I remember feeling it. Yes, my dream, I felt it. And when I woke up and as I was coming up out of sleep, there's a lot more to it I haven't time to go into. When I was coming up out of sleep, I was awake and sweating profusely. Bed was soaking. Alison was lying sleeping away beside me. And as I was lying soaking, I was down in Dublin pastoring at the time. And I was profusely sweating. The bed was soaking with me. And I tried to sit up. And I was exhausted. And as I tried to sit up, a voice in my waking moment said, Aye, but what about your child in the next room? And off goes Jody with a high-pitched squeal. Alison wakes. Mother hears the child's voice and jumps up and she runs into the room. Knows nothing what I've just come through. I'm a wreck. I'm a mess. I couldn't get out of bed the next day. Absolutely exhausted. Washed out. Beat. But she jumps in, she goes in for a while, she comes in, she says, and she stops like this at the end of the bed, she goes, Ken, I've walked into something, there's something here. I says, I know. 
had she seen the state of mind she sat with us and she prayed and she prayed and this left. See, these things are real. And people are heading that direction without knowing it, thinking it, understanding it. And if you're anyway in touch with God, brother and sister, you will see it upon the person. You will see it that they are in danger of their soul. That's why we need preachers with feeling. That's why we need preachers who are fearless, faithful, and willing to fight for them. Are you saved tonight? I can tell you a lot more than that. That wasn't it. Thankfully, the two friends, one of them got saved a lot a few years ago. Prayed for him every day. Prayed for him every day. Are you saved tonight? Do you know Jesus as your Savior tonight? That Christ died for you. Through the spirit of prophecy, Jeremiah is crying. And hence, point one is he's a prophet, a preacher with feeling. We've seen them all through our history. Right the whole way through from John Knox right up until the Wesleys and the Whitfields. Going further on to Charles Haddon Spurgeon and, and Joseph Parker thundering out the gospel message, words of warning to the uh, to the preachers of the Pentecostal era, like the George Jeffreys, the reformer he was. He, he was known as the reformer and the revivalist. And they had these gatherings where they preached and they told people and they warned them. And people like the Laodicean time now that we are living in have gotten worse and they're saying, don't preach about the cross. And don't preach about the Savior you call him. And don't preach to me hard sayings and hard things. We will tell you, preacher, what you're allowed to say, what you're not allowed to say, and how you can say it even in the street and the open air, we'll tell you what's acceptable and what is not acceptable. Well, that's why we need preachers with feeling that will feel for souls. The feeling in them, my bowels, my bowels, he cries. I am pained at my very heart. There's too much Nowadays, makey learn furry tale teaching behind the pulpit. Too many little early furry stories of the preacher on his journeys in the coffee shop and, and so forth like that. And Paul tells us to preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season and to rebuke and reprove and, and so forth. Paul tells us, use the word for the church and use the word for the people. Use the word in the gospel and use the word for the nation. How is Britain ever going to be great again? Amen? By this. But never mind, what about your soul? This tells you how to be saved. 
This tells you how you can be forgiven. And the only place you can go is to Christ and plead for mercy by faith at the cross. So preachers with feeling, my balls, my balls, he cries. It really means my inner's my inward parts, my deep inner place, my seat of emotions. In other words, you know what he's saying? Right in my very soul, I feel for my kith and kin. Right at the very heart of me, I feel for the people around me. I feel for Judah, for Israel Judah. We don't need people to tell us little lectures and baffle us with science and understanding of it. We don't need little fanciful stories and little five-minute thought. We need the preaching of the word. We need preachers with feeling, preachers who have passion for Christ and feeling in the soul, my soul, in the spirit of God, my soul, in the spirit of God, to your soul, pleading with you that you would turn to God. He says, I am pained at my heart, my very heart. I am pained at my heart. And see the idea of pained here? It means, it means, it gives the idea of twisting and turning about to writhe in anguish, to, to shake and to deeply mourn. That's what he's saying. My soul is in mourning. I wonder, church, if our souls were in mourning and we went to work tomorrow, if our souls were in mourning for the lost and we walked down Guildford tomorrow or Belfast or wherever you are and our souls were in mourning because the Holy Ghost has enabled us and allowed us to see the souls of men and the souls of women and they're going down the broad road to destruction and we know they'll die without Christ and be lost for all eternity and end up in a lake of fire. We should be weeping before the altar. Weeping for the souls of men and weeping for the souls of women. Pleading with the Lord for revival in our land. To revive the church because the church has fell asleep. The church is Laodicean. Listen, brothers and sisters, I've heard people say, well, we're in the Laodicean age. You know, it's not hot and it's not cold. Brothers and sisters, because we live and we are the church in that age, it doesn't mean to say we have to be like that in this age. But we don't have to be like that in this age. He's saying... I deeply mourn for the people around me, bringing forth a travail in my very soul. It's not just a thought, it's a soul. It's not just a figment, it's a soul thing. It's way deep in us where we realize things are happening and they're just not right. We have feeling. Feeling for our loved ones, our work colleagues. Feeling for love thy neighbor as thyself. Yes, absolutely. But what about love thy neighbor from the womb? The whole way out. Feeling for them. Some people say, why is God so cruel that people and even children 
die of cancers. And look, it's horrific. Breaks our hearts. Why is God so cruel that he allows that? Or why does God not come and take away tumors? Or why does God not come and uh, and dissolve them? Why does God not come and and, and touch people with arthritis? Or they're riddled with it and they're they're in agonies and in pain. Why does God allow all of this, this disease and all of this that comes upon it? Can I say something to you? Maybe God was sending them and someone decided to abort them in the womb. The man or the woman who would realize what it takes to heal the cancer, to heal the arthritis, would grow up to be a great physician and love the Lord, and yet they have been aborted in the womb. Do you ever think like that? Remember Moses, Pharaoh, Tries to have him killed. You know why? Because the devil knew. The devil knew that God was going to bring a great prophet among them, a leader. Remember when Jesus was born? And Herod the old Edomite tried to kill the Lord Jesus because he knew that a new king was born of Israel. Remember that. Maybe the devil just wants to kill them in the womb because he knows God is sending forth babies to be men and women who would be raised up to be something great for him. Well, I think of Esau giving away his birthright to Jacob for a pot of stew. And now Jacob has given away his birthright to Esau for a pot of stew, the stew of easy life and living. The stew of comfort and blessing. Judah and Jerusalem's sins were the very heart. They were deliberate. They were Planned that they had reached the condition where they had no desire to repent. They didn't want the Lord God. They didn't want the Word of God. They didn't want the responsibility for their own sin. They didn't want to. They did want to escape punishment for their evil and their sinful, wicked ways and doings. But they didn't want God. In other words, they wanted to live how they like and still go to heaven. They wanted to live how they like and still be in the kingdom. In other words. They wanted to reject the God of heaven, but yet be in his kingdom when they die. Oh, everybody thinks they go to heaven. And they want that, but they don't want the Christ of heaven. The Spirit of God and of prophecy showed this pending judgment and the pain and the horror and the... uh, All of it was seen through the love and grace for his kinsfolk. And he cries, my bowels, my bowels, I am pained in my heart. My heart maketh a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace. It's not he doesn't say, I will not. He says, I can't. Jeremiah is saying, I can't hold my peace. 
Do you think, do you see if every church leader, every preacher, every pastor, and yes, even every Christian would get to a place like this to say, you know, I can't hold my peace anymore. Not that I will because it's easier for me. Not that I will because I might get into trouble in work or school or university or whatever. I can't hold my peace. Because God had touched his heart to such a degree he was more conscious of God than he was of all the men's problems around him who could do him harm. The term here, I cannot hold my peace. Pardon me, I am pained at my very heart. My heart maketh a noise in me. The word noise is the word hama. Hama. And it gives the idea of a particular noise. A peculiar noise. Like an animal, like a dog barking. You know when you hear a dog that barks, well that's a dog barking. If you heard a bird growling, well, it sounds like a big bird growling, a lion roaring. That sounds like a peculiar noise. And the idea here is he's saying, I, my heart is making such a noise in me. It's, it's a peculiar noise. It's a peculiar noise because it's the voice of God. It's the voice of the Spirit. It's the Holy Ghost crying from my heart. Repent and turn unto God. Remember the last church I went to see a woman. She hadn't been at the church for, year, for years, or a few years, and was asked, would I, I got a list of those who had used to go to church and weren't there anymore when I first started, and I went to see her. And she sat in her house and she says to me, Well, are you one of those preachers who gets very excited and shouts? I says, Why? She says, Because if you were, I don't think I could go. I says, Then you're better not coming, dear. The preacher is to be a herald. And herald. He's to have feelings for the people. You see, in Acts 17 and verse 16 it says, Now while Paul waited for them, not as other disciples at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given over to idolatry. The word stirred means his spirit was provoked and roused to anger. He became exasperated when he seen all these people worshipping idols, bowing down to them, and they couldn't help them nor save them, and their souls were in danger. And Paul was stirred until he cried out, Matthew Henry again says, A good man in such a bad world as this cannot be a man of sorrows. Cannot but be a man of sorrows. Pardon me, let me say it again. A good man in such a bad world as this cannot but be a man of sorrows. And Christian, if you're happy living away from Christ, if you're happy living and you're in the world, if you're happy doing the things of the world, then I have to say, in my estimation, I have to say as far as I have come across these things, I doubt you're saved. Because if you've been saved, the Holy Ghost is in you and you can't live there. You can't stay there. 
because he will not leave you alone. It's like the old hymn writer says, Oh, love that will not let me go. But if you know that there's something even tonight that's been triggering you, causing you to think, praise God, because that's the Holy Spirit. saying, I love you. You know you're not right. But I love you. Come back. Listen to Hosea 9 and verse 7. The days of visitation are come. The days of repentance are come. Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool. The spiritual man is mad for the multitude of thine iniquity and great hatred. In other words, this is the northern kingdom before they were taken captive. Northern kingdom of the house of Israel. And when they looked at, they had prophets like Elijah and Elisha, strong prophets. Elisha, or Elijah, was a, he was a mighty man of God. Rough and rugged and ready. He wasn't effeminate. There was no, there was no pansiness about him. Some of, the, some of the preachers now, they're so effeminate, you're waiting on them, tiptoeing across the pulpit. Won't surprise me with someone to come in wearing a tutu someday to church. Spineless. Spineless man. We'll get you to add that out, Andrew. But it's life. <clears throat> I would not, you know, wouldn't. Listen, brothers and sisters, they're saying the prophet is, is a fool. The spiritual man is mad for the multitude of your iniquity. He's driven mad, yes. He seems like a fool, yes. But the idea of this is, no, they think of me to be a fool. See that guy at CET? I've had it a whole lot of times. He's a lunatic. He's mad. He's crazy. I am. I am about the Lord. For your soul, I am. In Hosea 9 and 9, it says, He will remember their iniquity. He will visit their sins. God visited them. They wouldn't turn. Listen to Hosea again, 13 and verse 9. Listen to what the Lord says through the prophet. Think of it. Put, put our land in here. Put Ireland in here. Put, uh, put Britain in here. United Kingdom in here. America here. You, you look at it. Canada and Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa. You put it in here across Europe. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. See, with our leaders, our nation has destroyed itself. Destroyed itself because it's moved the gospel, removed the commandments, it's removed the teaching of the Lord out of the schools, and it's replacing it with transgenderism and all this stuff that's going on. And the Lord looks at it and he says, Oh, Israel! You've destroyed yourself. Oh, Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. <laughs> oh, Lord, what are we going to do? He says, But in me is thy help. <laughs> What's our help? What's Ulster's help tonight? It's in the Lord. Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, a shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home.
See the word here, by the way, in Hosea 13 and 9. It says, but in me is thy help. It's the, it's the, Hebrew, it's the Hebrew word, Ezer. And in 1 Samuel 7 and 12, the Lord has helped Israel defeat the Philistines. And they set up a, a big stone. And the word for stone is Eben. And Ezer after it means, this stone has been our help. Ebenezer. That's what it means, Ebenezer. Stone of help. And the Lord is saying, I'm your Ebenezer. I'm the rock of Israel. I'm the rock of your salvation. I'm the rock who is your help. As the old hymn writer says, pardon me for quoting the hymn there. Too many hymns. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I come. And so the house of Israel were in prosperity. The nation that, that, that is the northern kingdom was in prosperity. Life was good. Things was comfortable. And Hosea announced coming judgment and repentance. And they thought he was a fool. He was mad. But as even Pastor Glenn had mentioned this reading at the prayer meeting on, on Wednesday night. And I had this written. And I thought, he's reading my notes. This is what I've written. Hosea announced coming judgment and repentance, and they thought he was a fool, but their cup was filling to the full. Maybe you're here tonight, you make sure that you get right with God because your cup could be filling to the full. It's over. Here he says, I cannot hold my peace in chapter 4 and verse 19. So we need preachers that are, have feelings and preachers who are fearless. Listen to Jeremiah again in chapter 6 and verse 10. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised. They cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them as reproach. They have no delight in it. Wouldn't you think you were walking through the streets of Belfast there, wouldn't you? Port it down. Lurgan, Lisburn, Newry, Dungannon, Bonbridge. You don't take any delight in this. The prophets are needed to see in the Spirit, to warn the people. The preachers are needed to thunder out the word to them, to tell them to repent, to turn back to God. And hence Jeremiah says, I cannot hold my peace because thou hast heard my soul. You know, we need prophets and preachers of Israel in our day today because Jeremiah 20 and verse 9, this is what we need them like. He says, but his word, God's word, was in my heart as a burning fire shot up in my bones. I was weary with forbearing, I could not stay. In other words, he says, it was so heavy on me. The word of God was so heavy in me for this people. I 
couldn't rest until I delivered it. And Pastor Glenn's come in to ministry and has been preaching more. He, he would say to me, at the start especially, he says to me, see when you get something, you've sought the Lord and you get a word and you're ready to bring it. He says, see all week. He says, like you're carrying it. All week it's in your head, it's in your heart, you think about it, you can't get your mind straight. All you can do is you see it until you get up behind this sacred desk and you deliver it. And I said, yes, that's life for me. But that's the way life should be for everybody who loves the Lord. For every preacher, for every pastor, for every minister of the gospel. Look, See if someone was a preacher, and I've heard of a few of them, and what they do is they download their sermons because it looks good in print and nobody's maybe heard it and they read it to their congregation. They need to stand down. They need to seek the face of God until he gives them an overflowing well. They need to re-dig the well of their heart and do not get behind the pulpit until God visits you and gives you the word. You know, the, the apostles in Acts 5 and 29 says we ought to obey God rather than men. In fact, you know what they said? Peter and John said in Acts 4, I think it's verse 20. It might be 27. Anyway, in Acts 4, I'll not say the verse because I can't remember the exact verse. You can check it's either 20 or 27. It says, we cannot but speak of the things that we have seen and heard. They're, in the, they're out in the street preaching and they're saying, get off the street, we'll put you in prison. And then when they're going to release them, don't you dare speak in this name of Jesus again. Don't you dare preach this word because the people don't want it. And they're going, we can't help ourselves. I can't help but speak about him. I can't help but preach about him. I can't help say to the people what I've seen, what I've heard from him to deliver unto them. I have to, Jeremiah says. His word was in me, but I was shut up in my bones and I couldn't stay or I couldn't hold it any longer. Repent, Judah, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Ah. Uh. Prophet is mad. The spirits of man are the man of Ruach, the Holy Spirit, the man of the wind of God. Hey, he's a fool. I need to find somewhere to close this, but stay with me for a few moments. The Holy Spirit gave Jeremiah a glimpse of the future and Jeremiah would tell forth the word of God which was impressed upon his heart. The seriousness of it, the importance of it, the urgency of it, the terribleness of it, the torment and the horror of it all had him shaking at his very core, twisting in his very innards. His, it's ingrained in, in, in him. He's distraught and he's distressed for the people his spirit is stirred in him and he cries in, act, in, in exasperation and travail from his heart. My bowels, my bowels, I am pained at my heart. My heart maketh a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because thou speaks to God, speaks to the people. In fact, 
it gives the idea, without going too far into this, gives the idea as if God is able to take him. See, the Holy Ghost moves you like this. One minute you can be not sure and then perfectly sure. One minute you can hate the word and the Holy Ghost touches the heart and you're loving Christ because you've got saved. One minute you're thinking one thing and he gives you a new mind for another. And if you read even sometimes in the scriptures, it just talks about something then suddenly the scripture changes and you're somewhere else altogether in the spirit. And this gives the idea that the, the, the prophet Jeremiah, he's prophesying to them but it's almost as if the, he's transported, as if he's one of them. And then he's looking. You've heard me. You've heard my heart. Oh, that somebody tonight would hear the word of God and cry to the Lord in repentance. You've heard my heart. I want to get right with you, Father. Oh, God, will you forgive me? And in Christ's name, will you save me and redeem me from this? And wash me in the blood of Jesus. So they must be faithful. And if they're not faithful, they're not doing as the Lord has given them. They must also be fearless. Fearless. I have some friends who are pastors or in ministry. And I know that they're friends Lee with me anyway. Sometimes they like to take a backward step. Because they think I'm a wee bit too much. Brothers and sisters, where Christ saved me from, what Christ saved me from, where Christ brought me from and out of, even me as I am, I'm still not enough. What about you? We need preachers with feelings that are fearless and they're faithful, fearless in their preaching, fearless in their witnessing and testifying and also faithful. Notice what it says here. Because thou hast heard my soul, the sound of the trumpet and the alarm of war. In other words, visitation is coming. And God will visit the iniquity and sin of the land. And in the Laodicean church, which we are talking about, the last age church which we are in, the church of the laity who tells the preachers what to preach and hence they're not fearless, tells them what to preach and hence they lose feeling. How to preach it? They're not faithful then. And here, the sound of the trumpet and the alarm of war, I want to tell you, and I'm just going to flick to it quickly because I haven't it written down, but it just came to my mind. And in First Thessalonians chapter 4, First Thessalonians 4, listen to what the apostle says. In verse 13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep or that have died, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. 
For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. Remember, we're at the last days, or these, this, this age that we're in, before the coming of Christ. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. In other words, we won't be, uh, we won't be with Christ before they are with Christ. Notice what it says in verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with what? The trump. You haven't fell asleep, have you? The trump. The trumpet will sound. The trump of God. Would you say the trump of God? And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And the thing about this is, here the prophet is even warning of this. He says, look, there's a certain sound of the trumpet. The word is a shofar. The shofar, that ram's horn would blow. And they would gather and get ready because... There's going to be an attack. There's going to be a change in circumstance. And Paul says, Christ is coming again. We are living in these last days, brothers and sisters. That is, in this Laodicean age, before the coming of Christ. And one day, the trumpet will sound. And when the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ, the saved, will rise from their graves. And if we're alive... We'll be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye and we'll be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. So here's what I'm saying. There's a warning tonight. Are you saved? Are you ready? Do you know him? You must be faithful in your calling. Joel 2. I think it's verse 1 I've written. I can't read my own writing now. Blow ye the trumpet in, in Zion. And sound an alarm on all my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord cometh. For it, is at hand, for it is nigh at hand. And brothers and sisters. We need preachers. Prophets. We need people. Christians. The blood washed. We need preachers with a burden for souls. We need preachers with a view of judgment. We need preachers with a prophet's vision. We need preachers with a heart of passion. We need preachers with a love for righteousness. We need preachers with a fearless spirit. And we need preachers with a biblical message. We need preachers with desire for truth. With a desire for truth. We need preachers who will stand for Christ and his gospel. For his kingdom, his crown, his glory and his covenant. We need preachers who will preach the blood and the book. We need preachers who are shaken to the core by the Spirit of God who have come together with him in the secret place and receive from him to give to the people that the people might be moved in their heart. We need preachers who cannot speak of those things which they have both seen and heard, who would obey God rather than man. We need preachers who will preach without fear or favor of man, but for the glory and the honor of God. 
And Richard Baxter says, if a hardened heart is to be broken, it is not by stroking, but by striking that must do it. See, what's wrong now is the preacher is with his congregation and he goes, glory, Darren. Stroke you. Out in the public, you're not allowed to say that in public. Okay, I'll stroke you. You all right now? Feeling better now? And the world loves you because you're stroking them. But according to Richard Baxter, he says you need to get the rod out and strike them. The rod of the gospel. You know what he also said? Richard Baxter said, I loved it too. He says, screw the truth into men's minds. Didn't take any prisoners through, they didn't. See, Richard Baxter and the like was round about the time of those seven churches would have been round about the time of the, 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 the Thyatira church, which was ruled by a woman, and that's when Rome had sway over the earth. And these men were going, screw the truth in the men's minds. Take the gospel rod and strike the heart with it. Now it's like cotton buds. Are you feeling better now? Time is flowing, and I thank you for your attention. I didn't mean to go on so long. But we need preachers who will be faithful. We need preachers who will fight. Fight in them. You know why? Because you get abuse. Because you get abuse. We need to stand. We need to have something birthed in them that they'll stand. Because they get the abuse. Do you know what? I've had abuse from the world. I've had Facebook pages put up recently, as some of you know of, calling me all sorts of names, homophobe. You know, my name, my picture and all on it, sent out to all the LGBT sort of activists and all. I've, I've had that recently. I've had one with my picture and saying loyalist pastor across it and all. He needs put out a Guilford and sent to the Irish Republican Socialist Party and Republican Sinn Féin and all of it. I've had all of that just a few months ago. I've had all of that. I've had people try to uh, damn me because of certain places that I've went to preach or done, and they've tried to damn me. I've had all of that. I've had the world come against me. But you know what the worst is? When those who say they are the church damn you for preaching, prophesying we say you shouldn't be so hard you'll never win anybody to Christ like that well brothers and sisters I can only say it the Lord saved me the Lord has kept me and I know where I was when he found me and it's took a lot of battering and bruising and Real deep lows and he's lifted me up the further highs and he's brought me along a hard road and a narrow way. But I can tell you one thing, he's put something in me. Put something in me that we must continue on in the gospel. We must continue on for the glory of Christ. That no matter who comes against us, Here's the scripture. 
if God be for us. In fact, the Greek text, if in our English can be if he is, but what if he isn't? The Greek text for if is since God be for us. Not if, since God be for us. Who then can be against us? Remember John Knox. One with God is in the majority. Listen, friend. Maybe you're not saved tonight. God could save you and you could win a community. God could save you and you'll win your family. God could save you and use you in society. But I don't want all that trouble. Listen, he doesn't give you the whole bell of hay at once, you know. He saves you and he builds you up in the faith. Let you like your children to grow until he knows that you're ready for certain tasks. And you're able to stand up. Stand up for Jesus. I finish with this. Jeremiah 4 and 21. How long shall I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? <laughs> it means the ensign or the banner or a battle flag. And in our day and age, whether it's the European Union or NATO or the WEF or the ISIS or the, the communist Marxist socialist flags or the the fake rainbow flag or the crescent moon or the hammer and sickle or the leftist liberal Antifa flag that are all at war with Christ and his gospel and kingdom. doesn't matter what flag. There's a banner over me tonight. And it's love. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. His banner over me is love. Who knows that we song, we chorus. Will we sing it? I'm not going to get you up. Not all of you anyway. I am my beloved's and he is mine. And his banner over me is Come and get right with God. You're backslidden and hard tonight. Come and get right with God. Talk to us. Speak with us. Pastor Glenn there. Andrew's over here. Jeff's there. Myself. Speak to someone. Tell them I need to get right with God. Telling you. 
went into church riddled with drink and drugs, registered homeless. I don't know if I tried to commit suicide that night or not. I just don't remember. I remember walking up a street, and the next thing I knew, I was lying on the floor with people trying to bring me round. And that night I got saved. Christ saved me. He rescued me. Saved my soul. And he can do the same for you tonight. Count your grace. Come on up.